Well, uh, Damon, good news. We are back for a second edition. I mean, that, that's all you want in this business. Greg knows that. I mean, do you get invited back? That's about the only feedback you ever ever get if you get another shot at it, another opportunity to to make another start. Three quarterbacks here. It's a Damon and Brock playoff podcast preview. And this is pretty cool, man. Greg McElroy, the guy will be on the call down there in New Orleans. Uh, Greg, you watched everything play out over the course of the final weeks of the season, over the final weekend of the season on championship weekend. And you get word that you and McDonough get to call Washington, Texas. First thing that went through your mind was? Well, we're, we're sitting there. We have one and two. That's the order they released them. And I was like, oh, please, I wonder who's going to be three. I wonder who's going to be three. I was already pumped to have Washington because we knew that Kirk was going to take the Rose Bowl. So we were already really excited about Washington. Hadn't seen him this year. <laughs> we're all fired up. And then it was text like, wow, now that's a matchup right there. Like, I didn't know. I thought it was being Florida State. I wasn't sure. I had no idea, to be honest with you. So uh, when we saw the matchup, I was thrilled because I think the team's in a unique way, match up really well against each other and have a chance to potentially light up the scoreboard. I think there should be some points scored in that game. Yeah, for sure. So, Greg, tell me, I'm a Husky fan, obviously. Um, saw that Alamo Bowl a year ago where the dogs really, for the most part, handled the game. You know, they, the Texas made it interesting in the second half, but for the most part, the Huskies controlled that game. The Huskies are showing up in Louisiana, a better football team, a more complete team. They're undefeated. They're Pac-12 champions. They played really well against Oregon. Tell me why in God's earth they are underdogs in the Sugar Bowl against this Texas team. Well, I can't get in, into the mind of the psyche of, of the Vegas uh, inhabitants. I, if I did, I can assure you uh, we'd all be a lot wealthier. Um, but What I would tell you is I think that people fell out of love with Washington this year because of how many close games. I mean – we, it's amazing to me how people overreacted to the performances that Oregon had against lesser competition. I mean, we acted like the win over Colorado was a win against Notre Dame. I mean, it's like unbelievable. I mean, come on. Uh, so I, I think that there was a lot that that I could understand going into that game. Maybe Vegas just doesn't have a ton of love for Washington, but I, I look at where they're at. And I think they're peaking at the right time. They found different ways to win. They've had to play in weather multiple times as a one-dimensional offense. They've gotten more balanced as the game's gone along. Looking at some stats, I mean, they were 55-45 in November past the run, which is significant. And then you're not going to be able to just run it down Texas's throat. That's not who they are. But you can run around them because I do think they have some advantages as far as their sideline-to-sideline -side play. And I think that there are a few pieces in this game that could be really important for them. It's understandable that Penix is going to be big. We know Roma Dunze is going to be big. Uh, I, I obviously understand that Jalen Polk will, will have a huge role as well. But McMillan, his willingness to go underneath, his willingness to be able to win over the middle is massive. I think Jeremy Bernard has a chance in this game to have a pretty significant role as well. Those guys, I think, could be significant as far as some catch and run stuff. And shoot, man, Tybo Robert Rogers is a backup. I think has some juice uh, that can get to the edge too. So I think it's a really in impressive matchup for Washington. But people are enamored with Texas and how dominant they looked in the last two weeks. And I think that there's already this built-in understanding and acceptance of Texas being an elite football team because they went to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama earlier in the season. Like people accepted them as a fantastic football team at that point. 
Whereas people looked at Washington and the Oregon game first and foremost, the first time around, I was like, well, you know, if Oregon converts one of those three fourth downs, it's a different outcome. I thought that's ludicrous, but that was the takeaway in the narrative that was being spun. So I think Washington's a lot better defensively than they probably give credit for, especially when they're at full strength and when they're not down three safeties and their best D tackle. Um, so I, I think they're going into this game as healthy as they've been all season and are likely in a good position to make it a really compelling outcome. Greg, I know how McDonough works. You got to get to TV here in just a moment. And this will be your first time in person seeing Washington. You obviously have done your homework and, and you know these names already. And yesterday you said to me, Cam Babikilan. So, I mean, if you got that one down, you've got the whole rest <laughs> of them uh, in your back pocket as well. You and Sean did see Texas twice. So you did see them in person twice. Give our audience here, these Husky fans that are going to be making their way to New Orleans, give them a, a thumbnail, give them a, a snapshot of what you know from the inside, having seen those Longhorns twice in person. Well, I think if you've watched Washington, you probably understand Texas better than you realize. They're very similarly built in in some ways. Now, Texas is a little bit more 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field, Washington's a little bit more 11 personnel uh, with three wide receivers. Uh, Texas a little bit more between the tackles. Washington's a little bit more outside the tackles. Uh, they both have outstanding play callers that know how to take advantage of tendencies and leverage. Uh, so I do think they're built in a similar sense, even though their personalities are probably just a little bit different. Um, defensively, they have a couple game records along the front. Texas has them. Washington has them. So I, I think there's a lot more. And the, I guess the liability in the back end for both teams is, is real. Uh, you know, Jabbar is great. Well, their, their corner for Texas is a great freshman. He's a great young player. Um, so like there are, a, there's a lot of youth in the secondary for Texas in a few places. Like there's some comparables here, but if we're going to give just a tail of the tape for Texas, Quinn Ewers is a guy that's played better and better and better as the season's gone along. Got a little banged up there for a little bit. He's doing a much better job of anticipating. Uh, and he's getting a, he's getting the ball out really quickly. I mean, he gets the ball out so fast. And he gets to his second read really quickly. So that pass rush is probably not going to have a, a huge advantage, knowing the tackles are also pretty good. I mean, Bo Nix got the ball out really quickly, too. So they've seen that before offensive line. I would say that this is probably one of the better offensive lines they've seen um, across the board. It's a really good group. They're very physical group. The left tackle in particular is excellent. Tight end is probably the biggest difference between Washington and Texas to uh, Tavion Sanders is a matchup nightmare. Uh, he can run, he's got length, he can stretch the field and do an amazing job. So he's probably the biggest difference. The wideouts, if you can cover your guys, I can promise you can cover these guys. They're that good. They're really, really good but you've seen it every day in practice. So it probably shouldn't be as much of a learning curve there. And then defensively, you want to take advantage of the back end. The teams that have stretched them vertically are the teams that have given them the most fits. The most notable example would be Oklahoma. Oklahoma also turned them over and Oklahoma also did a pretty good job on a goal line stand. So it was basically four turnovers in that game and Texas came up just a hair short. So I think they're very balanced. They're extremely well coached. Um, they're really good in the front seven defensively against the run. But I do think there are some opportunities downfield, especially if you can get some one-on-ones against their safeties. Greg, cannot wait to watch you and Sean, your entire crew, one of the best in college football, have an absolute blast. I'll leave you with this. If Mike Heward, Coach Heward, were on the call, Greg, he would tell you, listen, you can have one hurricane, but do not have two.
You can have one. <laughs> Just do not have that second as Coach Hewer did in 01 down there in the Super Bowl with the Patriots because it was no bueno. Have a great call, Greg. Really do appreciate you jumping on with us, man. Appreciate you guys. Thank y'all. It is the uh, Heward Brother Playoff Podcast. It's what we do. And I will say this, Damon, um, I had, honest to goodness, more than one text, more than one email reach out and say, man, I remember doing that same thing. I remember having to hit play and record like at the same time I had right. that same machine we had down there on Night Street. And uh, it was kind of fun to hear from people looking back at the 80s and the technology we had then versus the technology now. Super fun to have Greg McElroy on the show today, kind of previewing Texas, and he'll be on the call with McDonough. I love those guys. I want to start here. Um, 91, mm -hmm. you're redshirting for the Huskies. You're playing Michigan in the Rose Bowl. You're playing for a national title, right? You're playing on a similar stage as the boys are going to play in the Sugar Bowl here in less than two weeks away. Do you remember planning and preparing for that? Kind of finishing the season, and even then it was like 11 games, Damon, and one 13, yeah. like these boys have played. But you play 11, and do you remember kind of cranking it up and, and what Don did and the program did to make sure you were ready to hit on tilt and be ready to go when January 1 came? Yeah, for sure. I mean, what an experience a, a bowl game was, and certainly the Rose Bowl, and obviously the CFP and the Sugar Bowl is going to be for for our guys. But it really was different back then. I mean, literally, you would go down to Southern California for two weeks. Two weeks. And you mentioned it. These guys today, they play up to 13 games, right? So they play into December. The season starts earlier. You know, there's so many differences. But going down to Southern California, leaving Seattle, in the middle of December, there was nothing better than going down to that warm sunshine. We practiced at the old L.A. Rams uh, complex. And, you know, it was great as a young player because you got some reps and different things. And you really did have to kick it back up back then because you did kind of have a layoff. You mentioned you only play 11 games. But now with 13 games, and, and seriously, a lot of guys are, are nicked up over that long season. You know, these guys get 15 practices. But I promise you, like, I don't think Kalen's going to use all of them, right? I mean, you want to recover. Uh, I mean, if you think about other bowl games, you don't even have enough guys to get through 15 practices with the portal or opt-outs or, or whatever. So it's just, it's a totally different time. But going back to that time as an 18-year-old kid, Southern California, the coaches, like, could recruit the whole month of December, too. Right. Signing right. date wasn't until February. So, you know, they they got the best of both worlds. They'd coach us up in the morning. You know, they'd go out and recruit all day. We'd go to Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm, Magic Mountain. I mean, all those good times. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was nothing better than going to the Rose Bowl as a kid, as a Husky, I think, for our fans. Um, but they're going to have an awesome experience doing this at the Sugar Bowl. But I think it's different now. I think it's way more business, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the playoffs. Um, you're certainly getting all your work in. Your game plan is going in right now. They're going to practice really hard. Probably maybe a, a five or six practices would be my guess. Get your game plan in. Then give the kids a little bit of time off. Maybe go home for Christmas for a couple of days. And then mm -hmm. you're going to get all on the 26th. You're going to head down to New Orleans. You're Is that when they head down? Do you do you know their schedule? That's the when they're held down? Yep. Okay. Head down on the 26th. So you kind of start practice back up on the 26th. But again, I think it's all, you know, it's not going to be hardcore. The game plan's going to be in. Um, but, but yeah, I mean – and I think everybody does this thing a little bit different, but let's let's be rest assured. Kalen knew what he was doing last year in Texas in the Alamo Bowl True. after a long season and certainly got those guys healthy, ready to play, and uh, it'll be the same thing down in New Orleans. 
I'm sorry. I know mom listened to this podcast last week. Who knows? May listen uh, to this week as well. And I'm sorry to fair, you know, share family business about Grandpa Mike in 2001 in New Orleans, where one hurricane, he was fine. Two hurricanes, he was toast. I mean, he was, he was, he was done. He was gone to the world. Uh, you were down there for that Super Bowl, the greatest show on turf. I think we hit on this a little bit last week. Uh, it's not Pasadena. It's not the Rose Bowl. It's not what a lot of Husky fans, I think, envisioned after beating Oregon on that Friday night. Probably started to get flights to L.A. and everything else. Uh, this is New Orleans. This is Bourbon Street. This is Canal Street. This is January 1. This is going to be flooded with Texans as well. You were down there for a Super Bowl, right? The buildup and the magnitude and all of that for that stage. Can you help people understand, like, what New Orleans is like as a destination town, as a as a host city to this event and on this stage, because it's not Pasadena, man. But from a hosting standpoint, isn't it pretty darn phenomenal too? It's, it's really cool. It's really cool because it's all right there, right? I mean, everything's downtown. You can walk everywhere. Um, you know, L.A. is as great as the Rose Bowl is. I mean, it. That's a journey. I mean, it, from the hotel to get through this parade to get to Pasadena, like it's it's a couple hours. I mean, it's it's a lot on the golf course. Park on the golf course, like it, it's it's a nightmare. With this Husky fans, you making the trek down there, you're gonna have a lot of fun. I would say hydrate a bunch over Christmas, uh, and as Brock mentioned, only one hurricane. Do not go to save your energy, save your stamina for for game day on the first. And uh, you're going to have a magical time down there. The food is amazing. So many amazing restaurants. Like I said, you're going to walk everywhere. If you want to roll the dice in a casino, that's a lot of fun too. But it's just that Southern hospitality. The people are great. The whole town, It's you said it. There's going to be a lot of Texans there. Okay, but I remember last year, they're, they're okay. You know, they're, they're not the worst of fans. I've, I've seen, there's not like Philly coming in here or something like that. So it, they're okay to get along with, especially when, when you beat up on them, but um, it's going to be a great atmosphere, a great couple days in new Orleans and, um, and, and something unique and different. I mean, we never played in the sugar bowl. They would go to new Orleans. It's going to be awesome. Especially when we kick their ass. I was looking at something the other day, and, and and some of this is also Drew Locke on Monday night. Like, what a performance. And listening to Drew after the game and and thinking about quarterbacking today, Damon, and how different it is to our era and our time. Where you redshirted and you grew and you were around it and you were in the program. And now, I don't know if you saw this kid out of Georgia. He's moved from Burleson High School to Chandler High School to Buford High School, he's committed to Ohio State, he committed to Georgia, and now he's committed, I mean, to Nebraska, it's crazy. I was looking the other day, Quinn Ewers was in the same class as Sam, is mm -hmm. uh, my nephew, your son, Sam Ewers, right? He was one of the top five recruits. I think he was number one on different lists and everything else, and, and Sammy was up there with him, and you now look at Quinn's, right? And he goes to Ohio State, and throws a horrific mullet, and never works out there, and, you know, he's overweight at Texas last year, and then he totally transforms himself this season and just these crazy journeys of quarterbacks, man, peaks and valleys and where this thing goes and unfolds. Same thing with Penix, as we've talked about from Tampa originally committed to Tennessee, and then it's up to Indiana and then it's coaching changes and it's injuries. And then he comes to Washington and just settles in and, and just has a unbelievable record setting, unreal journey that nobody saw coming. You look at these two QBs. Have you watched Quinn enough? Have you seen him? Did you see him on the seven-on-seven seven circuit at all with Sammy along the way to say, man, this is going to be one heck of a QB matchup as well? 
Yeah, you know, Quinn actually was a year younger who reclassified, if you remember right. There you so go. Get yep. that NIL money. Um, yep. So yep, 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 yep. That class of 21. But uh, yeah, you mentioned it went to Ohio State uh, and decided to come back home. Um, I mean, it, it is, it is just such a different time. Um, and, and the crazy thing is, is like, you know, these are 19, 18, 19 year old kids like making these, these crazy decisions that are going to affect them for the rest of their lives. And I go back to that age and I just, I, I, I couldn't imagine. You were Knott's Berry Farm, man. You were eating steak down there. <laughs> Oh yeah, for two weeks. Just you living by this, you know, you're trying to rich. You were redshirted. You were squatting. You were taking creatine. I, I was yeah. looking at pictures of you, bro. You were like 220 with a big neck. So was I. Like totally different time. Totally different era. Just a different time. I mean, there's so much pressure on these kids, and I, you know, just this thinking about really now in this day and age at these big time programs, um, if you come in there as a big time recruit and as a quarterback, and you don't play significantly your first or second year you know odds are by the time you are ready to go your third year you know they're probably going to bring in somebody who's played a lot of football to compete with you and they're probably going to give them a lot more money than you've made in your first couple years and so you you tell me where this is going to go I mean it is just such a different time I'm not sure we really know how to navigate it because it's all so new everyone's trying to figure this thing out um but you do, you know, tip your cap to guys like Penix, especially, um, who has been through so much, the injuries, um, the coaches that you mentioned, and then comes here. And guess what? That you got to have some good fortune, too. And we both know, Brock, this is the ultimate team sport. I say it all the time. When I signed as a free agent with the Cincinnati Bengals, if I'd have made that football team as a rookie free agent my rookie year in 1996 – I'd have maybe lasted two years in the NFL because I would have played on a bad team, wouldn't have played real well, and I'd have been out of football. But instead, I get released. I'm out of football the whole year, 96. Get an opportunity to sign with the Dolphins in 97. And then I get my shot to play, you know, 98, 99 a little bit with a really good team around me, won a few games, and then fooled them for 12 years. But it was the circumstance. It was the situation. It was good fortune. It was great people around me. There's so many of these kids can spin the ball on the circuit yep. and can yep. take a hit and they'll probably lead your team to some victories. But you better have that cast. You better have them boys up front. You better have a defense that gets you some good field position from time to time. You better have some receivers that are going to make some plays for you. And for most of the guys out there, it's not going to go well. But a few guys, the Michael Penix, yep. the Quinn Ewers, it's working out yep. for them. And you tip your cap to the, their ability to persevere, to work hard. And when the, their, their, their preparation met the right opportunity, they took advantage of it. Yeah, I think that is really well said. You know, Pete talks about it a lot. Coach Carroll here in this market about grit. You know, especially five, six, eight years ago, the TED Talk and the grit and the writer and all of that. You know, but you just look at the grittiness of these young guys and how much faster it happens. You know, like Quinn Ewers thrown right into it. Didn't work at Ohio State. Takes all that heat. You want to talk about a brutal fan base. Goes to Texas. Feels the size of Texas on his shoulders to be the difference maker, right? And then last year, some ups and downs. And then totally, as I said, transformed himself. Lost 20 pounds. Lost body weight or body fat. All of this, you know, to put him in a, a, a position with the supporting cast around him. And if anything, from this preview podcast, you listen to Greg McElroy, Damon, these two teams in so many ways are just mere images. So good at the line of scrimmage, 
so well coached, so well schemed, gritty quarterbacks, talented perimeter players, maybe some vulnerabilities on the back end. And really, as we get into it more next week, as we really talk matchups, I think we're just set up for an unbelievable January 1 Sugar Bowl.